Hello and welcome to Grind Forever, the bi-weekly RPG discussion podcast here on the PNB Network. I am your host, and I've not been sleeping for 100 years, but boy, it sure feels like it. I am Dylan Tierney, and joining me is a frequent guest on here on Grind Forever, uh, Brennan Hess. Say hi. Hello. Hello, and yes, we if you couldn't tell from the intro song, uh, we are talking about a game that is probably my favorite game of all time. Mine too. Uh it's sometimes I go back and forth, but when I actually think, sit down and think about it, uh, I'm just like, oh no, this is actually it's just my favorite game, like top to bottom. We are talking about the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, and yes. boy, do we have a lot of things to say about it. Yeah, we were talking just before this started of like, okay, how long can we go? Right, I've never, <laughs> I've always for some some of these episodes, it feels like I need a stretch, but this is when we have to probably rein in at some yeah, point. Yeah, we're gonna have to. But uh, yeah, so Breath of the Wild. Let's just get into it. A little little breakdown of what that game was. Uh, they they announced, I think, the first trailer for this game was at the Game Awards in like 2015, something like that. It yeah, was gonna I mean, be. Uh, go I'm ahead. Sorry, I just I was just. Just remembering the reminiscing about that trailer, that was that was really something. <laughs> it was it was it was it was the first time I'm just like, oh, this is something that could be very interesting because it seems like they're blending the styles of the cel shaded Wind Waker and like the more realistic uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Like that's yeah. where I was coming from. It of like, okay, they're kind of trying to meet halfway, and it's it's like a little less I don't know brushstrokey than Skyward Sword. Yeah, but, it, sure, I'm okay with this. Yeah, we'll probably touch on it more, but that was what I... It was like, okay, they 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 overcorrected with Skyward Sword of trying to blend the two. And then they... And this one, it was like they they incorporated outside influences that is that wasn't just from, you know, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess or whatever, and it worked out really well. But it was precisely, very striking. Precisely. It was very striking when you first saw that, uh, that first trailer. Well, especially because it was so focused on the gamepad and the Wii U at the time. I mean, this right. is going to be... This is at the time that Wii was already pretty dead. Uh, Mario Maker had probably just come out or something like that. That kind of gave it a kick in the pants a bit. But for all intents and purposes, the Wii U was on its way out, and this is going to be its swan song. But like every other Zelda, seemingly for the last decade, uh, it just tends to be the the send-off of one console and the launch pad of another. Right, Uh, yeah. But on this original trailer, because we didn't know anything about the Switch or the NX or whatever it was... uh, it was using the gamepad heavily. It used the gamepad for a lot of core features that I really feel like could have been helpful in the in the game proper. I don't think too much was lost by it going away, but I mean, you know, like being able to not have to pause the game to like put your little pinpoints down or like, uh, you know, sort through your inventory. Maybe inventory would have been a bit, a bit better managed because that's definitely one of the biggest complaints I hear is a bit of a lackluster inventory management. Yeah, I think honestly, if I was gonna point to really anything about the uh, about the game that I have problems with, it would definitely be the fact that you can't just drop a weapon from that quick select web, uh, menu or or anything like that. You have to go all the way into your inventory, uh, and you have to go through like four or five button presses to just drop a sword you don't want. You know exactly. And if it's even you know if it's a sword, maybe you could throw it or something if you want to, but. You know, sure. shields and arrows and stuff like that. You can't throw that stuff. You have to. You have to go to the menu and do that. Um, but this original demonstration for Breath of the Wild, which I think didn't even have a name at the time. I think it was just like the Legend of Zelda. I think it was um, Zelda NX, is what it, everyone was calling it, or not Zelda so, NX. I'm sorry. It was like yeah, Zelda U. At Zelda the time. U. Yeah, I remember he- hearing Zelda U a lot. Yeah. Um, 
And it, it definitely had this philosophy of like, oh, this is going to be an open world game that's like way more focused on exploration and kind of, you know, creating your own path than a lot of other Zelda games or a lot of other open world games, really. Like from the start, it's just like, okay. And I think this is the one where they're talking about like, oh, the horse will move by itself. You don't have to fucking do anything with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That first uh, where it was uh, Miyamoto and... Aonuma? Um, uh, uh, Aonuma, thank you. They were sitting there, and I, I very much remember that. And in fact, um, I was—I've been playing this again recently, and it was something that I—I I always note is when the horse does move on its own, and I'm always like, oh yeah, I—I I don't have to move this this horse. No, it's great. Like it kind of just does its own thing. It lets you focus on things like combat or like trying to find a cer- certain you know shrine or something like that. Um, yeah. And the horse just kind of does its own thing. Like, it, it, you might think it's a bit of a crutch, just like, okay, the, you, don't, you don't even have to do anything with the horse. But, I mean, you still can. You have, like, a manual override for the horse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, this is all we saw of, of uh, The Legend of Zelda U, or whatever they were going to call it. And I want to say, so, actually, I think this was at, uh, Game Awards 20... No, it was 2015, because 2016 was, like, E3. Here's our Zelda showcase. Uh, game's not going to be out for like se- seven or eight months, but here it is. Right. Um, but yeah, like we we didn't hear much about it at all until E3, um, where Nintendo for the first time just started having their E3 press conference basically centered around one game. Uh, oh, but, right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about boy, that. Boy, what a game to center it right on, man. Like, I mean, that's, it was... Oh, it man. was a game of the show. I mean, come on. like It really was. was. Like it, it was very much quality over quantity, and... Uh, this is where you started see, hearing more murmurings about like this game kind of going for something not just ex- exploratory and different, but like oh this game's like could be something pretty special actually like there's there's a lot of really cool things I think the sort of uh, disparaging of the weapon durability was already happening at that point but it wasn't right. su- it wasn't like super widespread or anything it wasn't that bad um, but it was just interesting to see like the little sparks of what breath of the wild would turn into like being shown very early on like they they'd obviously been working on this here game for a long long time mm-hmm. like for for i'm gonna say probably soon after skyward sword wrapped because that was like 2011 yeah i mean that thing was probably in development for at least eight or nine years or something exactly like that, in exactly. some form or another <clears throat> and and uh and yeah like it people were very high on it you know it was very exciting but there was still oh, plenty of time before the game actually came out yeah i mean <sighs> So I was at, um, I was a staff writer at Digital Trends still at that time, and I was covering E3. Um, I wasn't at E3 that year. I was covering it back from our Portland office. But mm-hmm. I, man, I had uh, every, the entire, like, um, Treehouse, Nintendo Treehouse stream of that E3 where they just showcased just Breath of the Wild. I had that thing on for days that entire was very just in the corner like as i was writing news about other games and stuff i was just watching <laughs> people play in that in that uh, that plateau area and and thinking at the time like man th- this area is so huge i can't wait to see the rest of the world and oh, and yeah. it's such a it's such a tiny 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 fraction of what that entire it's uh, a world it's is. a brilliant it's a brilliant tutorial in a game that doesn't hold your hand at all Yep. Like, it, it's the only bit of hand-holding they do is so that, like, this great plateau is meant to gather your main resources and items you'll be using for the whole game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we'll introduce things like 
what enemy hierarchies and how they sometimes collect in little huts or uh, little campfires and things like that. Everything that this game is is kind of encompassed in this little area, but right. you're meant to sort of collect these items and, and just go in whatever direction you really want to. I um, uh, I mean, I, I think we're kind of like, you know, jumping in a little bit ahead of from the development stuff into the actual right. gameplay, but um, I always like to think of that first area where you're doing the first four shrines, you're introduced to everything, all of the different, uh, you know, the weather mechanic, the uh, the cooking, all the different, the weapon durability, all of the stuff you, you mentioned about uh, enemy hierarchy. I like to think of that as like a, <laughs> that, is the Ze- that is the classic Zelda game within Breath of the Wild, and everything after that is like this giant open end game. <laughs> right, that where, where the post game is like 90% of the game or something. Yeah, because like you have all of the items. You've done the, uh, you know, the item-based shrines, you like they're te- you know, temples. You could literally walk up just... to Hyrule Castle and just fight Ganon and beat the game yeah, at that point. totally. Or you can, you know, spend time doing the rest of whatever is, is out there. Right, exactly. It, it's it's up to you to really make that decision. It's up, it's... And, and I only bring it up as part of this kind of pre-release thing is because, like, uh, the Great Plateau is the showpiece for the entire game for right. m- almost all of its pre-release. Like, you didn't see anything from the Zora area or Death Mountain or, like, the, the Kokiri Forest or anything. Like, everything they were showing was sort of contained to the Great Plateau, and I think it was a great way of, like, wetting people's appetites. Uh, and then when, when it does grow, when you do see how vast it is, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's just that more invigorating enthralling you know oh yeah absolutely like i remember seeing you know you see those mountains in the distance and there's uh you know plateaus and stuff beyond mm-hmm. the plateau that you're on and i remember thinking that that was those were the edges of the of the world and just thinking, <laughs> wow this is so big but in reality like that is just the like inner maybe quarter or third of the map and it sprawls out even beyond that it's huge Right, you start getting into like the far-flung, you know, directions of the map, where like you got the deserts on the west and like the the Arctic North and things like that. Right, and you will you will eventually reach those kind of spirit barriers or whatever. But they they it, it takes forever to get there, and it's cool because like it, it the the game never tells you you can't do this, but the fact that those sort of spirit barriers are covered in Lynels and like, huge late-game threats, it's sort of an implicit, like, you shouldn't really hang around here. Like, you're not quite right. ready. Like, you don't even have warm clothes. You're holding a torch to stay warm. Which, God, if we... We'll get to the systems at some point, yeah. but... Oh, yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Um, But, yeah, like, it, that uh, that Great Plateau era was all we had for uh, the longest while, and, you know, like you said, we just thought that was going to be the whole game. Or, you know, that... It was representative of more of the map than it actually was, mm-hmm. and to all of our surprise and uh, my elation, it was. But it was like what? Like they said it was something like less than a it's tenth like th- of the well, size. I, I want to say it was something 2%? like three, three percent, or like yeah. something, something very small. Yeah, and, and and I was just thinking, wow, I've I've spent the last three days watching people play in this specific area i can't even imagine how long i'm going to be able to do you know what i'm going to be able to do in the entire in the entire map once it's once the game opens up right like like i it 
to me, I thought they were just bullshitting. Like, oh, yeah, 3%. Like, sure. Okay. This certain, like, if, if you count this as areas that are, like, only for these temples or whatever, if, like, if, if there's a lot of asterisks there. But no, it's really not. They were, they were very fair in their sort of, their, their gauge of how much the Great Plateau actually is of the game. Because it, yeah, it, it is so small. And I was actually worried because I have um, kind of a love-hate relationship with a lot of open-world games. And I was kind of mm. worried. I was like, "Well, if this thing is going to be that big, am I gonna, you know, am I gonna burn out? Am I gonna be like that? Is just, I'm just overwhelmed. There's n- no reason for me to, to keep, you know, be out here doing all this stuff because I don't care." And it, <laughs> there, <sighs> leave it to the geniuses at Nintendo to completely make that place like the only game world I ever want to be in for the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> like, right? Exactly. It's, and they, it's they... so good. They they use the sort of uh, desolate barrenness of it all to really to its advantage. Where like it it never really felt empty. Like I see that sort of criticism lobbied at it. Like there's not a lot of people around. It's 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 sort of like it's sort of empty. It's sort of soulless and like that. But that like to me it feels like the world is just this this one giant character. You're sort of unraveling at your own pace at your own rate. Like you're you're sort of coming across certain set pieces or certain areas that hey maybe maybe the weather's like this maybe the maybe the wind's like that maybe a giant dragon is flying overhead and fucking with the wind patterns you know like right. yes, there's there's exactly. so there's so much to this game that that really just unravels from there that like it's it's really really compelling to keep going back yeah everything i mean everything you just said everything you just touched on i actually um so we're recording this uh 3 days after Breath of the Wild's two-year anniversary, and mm-hmm. uh, this this week I am I'm, I'm going to be running a YouTube video that kind of talks about this stuff, about the world and how it's actually, you know, it it replaces a mini map filled with tons and tons of icons with just a bunch of systems that all interlock and interplay, and the 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 world is just pure potential. Like there's nothing. There's nothing scripted necessarily about you riding, you know, maybe early morning in the game, you're riding on the back of a horse, all these, you know, the birds are flying overhead, and then, you, like you said, you see a giant dragon just floating over a, a mountain in the distance, the wind changes because of it, like, and, and, like, what would otherwise be something that you, you know, in Skyrim, like, oh... I'm seeing this dragon because I'm part of this quest or whatever. In in mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, it just happens, and it constantly happens. Like there's always something happening because of how many systems are constantly, uh, it, like it, just bashing up against each other. You're right, and overlapping. And, right, yeah, and just that constant interplay between, you know, what the player is doing and what the world is doing. You don't need to have a ton of of collectibles i mean there is obviously there's a lot to do in the game but it's what you're doing is always pretty much the same thing but what you're experiencing like what you're actually seeing and uh and feeling is completely different like it's not like it's not like playing something like assassin's creed where it's like okay i'm gonna run across these trees and i'm gonna pick up this feather or whatever or it's not like a far cry where it's like okay i gotta kill these five boars right here so i can level up my wallet size or whatever right, right. breath of the is wild that... is just like hey oh whoa uh, i found a weird i found a korok here that uh 
I wouldn't have otherwise seen because I decided I was just going to climb this mountain for the hell of it. And not only did I see a Korok, but uh, yeah, I, there's a you know a, a camp of um, of goblins down there, and I'm going to throw this bomb, and I cause this huge chain reaction, and they're all like on fire, running around looking for me in the camp. Like it's just you don't you don't have to you don't have to try to have fun in in the world which is something that i struggle with in something like a, a gta where mm-hmm. it's like it's packed with stuff to do but i don't want to do any of it none, none of it's com- particularly compelling in a way where you have to like like there's not a checklist like there are quests right. and side quests and things they're very much subdued in breath of the wild and I wanted to sort of parlay into those systems uh, because, like, we, we we've kind of gone through the development period of, uh, like, of what we knew going into Zelda because obviously right, they yeah. had like they had that that weird Wii U demo when the Wii U launched or something where it was just like a cinematic of basically Twilight Princess HD, but uh, kind right, of parlaying yeah. back into Breath of the Wild, there are so <laughs> many levels of systems. And literally none of it, it's not overwhelming. You just want them all to sort of wash over you. Like, n- none yeah. of the systems feel like they don't make sense. Like, they all sort of gel together in a way that's really, really genius. I remember for the first time having, like, in a storm, my shield yep. sort of start lighting up. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? What's going on? Like, I'm running around in circles pretty much. And I get struck by lightning. I'm like... Oh, my shield's made of metal. Okay, so I gotta mm-hmm. sheath that so I don't get fucking pelted by lightning. Oh, why the hell can't I climb this tower that I could climb early? Oh, it's raining. And of right, course, that, the, that the, was a little more divisive of a system, but even that sure, I think was right. used pretty well. But it it, it makes sense. Like <laughs> uh, that's one thing about the breath about Breath of the Wild that you. Uh, no matter what, how you come down on any of its systems, they all make sense. They all connect into each other. They all feed into one another. And and they're all balanced. They're all completely equal. So, um, you know, another one people really don't like is the weapon durability. But if you could hold on to whatever weapon you picked up, you wouldn't be forced to do things like, I'm going to use Magnesis to drop a, uh, a metal crate onto this enemy because I ran out of items and you would miss these opportunities for experimentation and just player ingenuity to come out because you know oh i, I i'm fine i just have this I really got this good cool sword. sword so yeah. i don't need to try anything again like i i totally disagree with the notion that the durability system is is even flawed like i i think it, it works pretty well i wish there were things that you could like sort of like rebuild a weapon if you wanted to like maybe some yeah. kind of some kind of gem or some ooze or something, so you could like recompile a weapon or something. But yeah, I, like, I it, think it's you're never going to be outside the reach of a weapon for a while, a long time. Like all the enemies have pretty good weapons when you start like going through the progression of the game. Like everything's kind of there. Yeah, I think it, it, I don't I don't want to like be I don't want to like call anyone out, but I think it speaks more to how someone plays a game. If they're like, "Look, I can't, I can't fight everything in this game because all my weapons keep breaking, and every time I fight something, I feel like I'm losing all the, my good gear." To me, that what I hear is like, "Well, then, don't play the game like it's just a combat game because that's right. not what Breath of the Wild is. So much more than just fighting things. 
You feel like I, I feel like people like that are just like digital hoarders. Like, oh, I can't let go of this yeah. weapon. It's too good. I'm like, just let it go, man. Let it do its thing, and then when it's gone, it's gone, and you'll find another one. Like, there's and I something. Mean it, there's some weird Marie Kondo fucking philosophy in there, I'm sure. Well, but, I mean, actually, that's exactly what I was gonna get into. So, like, you know, Marie Kondo's cleaning philosophy comes from, you know, Japan's history with the the. Shinto religion, which is, you know, the ancient animist kind of like native religion of Japan and, um, and, and Buddhism, certain forms of Buddhism. And there's, you know, this whole, this whole idea of like, you know, cycles and, you know, you, you have a thing, then you don't have a thing and think you use something and you don't need it anymore. And then you get rid of it. Like, it's not this big of a deal. Like in the West, we're like, we hoard everything. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 you know, we have to have it forever. And in Japan, like, at least under the, like, social current, there's that, that still exists. The, that philosophy still exists. And it's in everything from, you know, like you said, Marie Kondo stuff to uh, Miyazaki movies. And then Breath of the Wild is, I think, the best game to kind of get, like, to portray that philosophy of, like, yeah, like it's okay to let things go. You don't have to worry about things constantly being there because there's always something like on the horizon that you can do instead. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think that's a really interesting case for how a game that doesn't really have much to say on the surface really conveys a lot by just what it's showing to you as a player and allowing yeah. you to experience. Like, you know, games, a lot of times I feel like try to be movies when it comes to like cinematic 100 uh, yeah. cinematic tropes and cinematic things like you're just kind of chasing movies coattails but birth of the wild is a game ass game and has things to say based on its merits as a video game it's something yep. that you can't really convey in any other medium and like i, I know it's kind of tr- cliche and rote to be like oh like, our game's art our game's this that or the other but like the way breath of the wild says what it has to say Without having to say anything is is indicative of what games really are in terms of like an art form, in terms of what it, yeah. what they have to say. I once said that I thought that Breath of the Wild had like some of the most interesting stuff to say philosophically through its gameplay mechanics. And someone responded with, well, have you played Nier Automata? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I have. But Nier Automata is like in its dialogue and its characters talking about like philosophical musings that I like it's philosophy 101 like right and it's and it's right there on its surface you don't have to read into it it's just presented to you for you to just kind of absorb whereas breath of the wild is like you have to you have to you play this game and all of a sudden you're like oh this this game is telling me that like the world is breath of the wild kind of like decolonized the open world genre in a way like instead of making the world this thing that you have to conquer and that you have to collect all the resources from and that you are like you're overcoming and you're becoming the like you, you, the like uh, like a the, shadow of mordor sort of like you're the just the got the most yeah. powerful entity in this world like you rule it pretty much yeah you're not you're not doing that you are just part of there and like you you're just interacting with it and that interaction is where all these you know these these organic moments of both, whether it's like seeing something or like in the gameplay itself, they just kind of come from that. And if breath of the wild was all about like, well, you got to go collect everything 
and you can create your own giant forts and you got to kill all of the encampments and we're going to have a giant checklist of all the things that you need to do to overcome you know all the enemies and then you're going to be this giant you know badass version of link with all the best gear you've ever had and like you do do some of that absolutely you do that some of that happens but like it's so subtle and it's not the whole point of the game um yeah sorry i totally got off on a tangent no there, no like, that's that's a totally fair tangent like i i totally understand the sort of colonization aspect of, of other open world games where it's like you're the best around you're gonna rule this world pretty much but like even at his most powerful link's just kind of a guy doing his thing like he's able yeah, to stop I, the big bad but like he's not he's not this omnipotent god he's just a he's just like a, a, a late teen early 20 something yeah totally and like so i mean i i brought up miyazaki movies before but i once heard i think it was a tweet someone someone described breath of the wild as um if studio ghibli made the witcher 3 and I don't think that's entirely an apt comparison, but it works well enough in that, you know, it's this giant open world with that's really compelling and stuff. But it it's it's expressing that sort of like the world is alive and the things in this world can do things like the, the monsters can do things. They're not just static things that stand there and wait for you to come up and fight them. And like the dragons do things and stuff happens whether you're interacting with it or not and i think that says a lot about the cultural whether you know whether obvious or not that just the cultural um background behind the fact that this was made by a japanese team so there's going to be you know japanese cultural themes throughout the entire thing and that's that's absolutely what this game is for sure, and I, I really like just how uh, I can see the comparisons for something like a Witcher Three. I know at the time they're definitely getting a lot of those kind of comparisons, even though they probably had the same around the same probably dev periods being made over the last like few years. But I don't know. That doesn't mean that I I don't I dislike how The Witcher tackles it because a lot of it is just a lot more in your face and a lot more like hitting you with these beautiful vistas and compelling narratives and stuff. But like. To me, it's still rooted in, like, we're trying to tell a bit of a cinematic story or something. Yeah. Like, we're trying to convey these sort of cinematic tropes or touchstones. Like, this feels like a, a sort of gussied up, you know, Game of Thrones episode in some spots, like, with a bloody baron and whatnot. Like, all that stuff isn't bad. It is it is good in its own right. But totally. it's still yeah. it still has a bit of that derivative crutch from something like TV or film. Yeah, I mean... I just from an aesthetic point of view, I I really prefer Breath of the Wild to oh, for sure. uh, The Witcher Three. I'm just not I'm not into like the super gritty, very realistic medieval fantasy, which is odd considering like I mean Breath of the Wild is it's medieval fantasy, but it's it's a lot more than that, and it's through the you know kind of this anime um, sort of lens. lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like it. it it's it's fantasy, but in a way that you can't really pinpoint a certain time. And also, there's weird Magitek stuff just going on thrown in. Totally. Like, all, all the stuff with the Guardians, all the stuff with this tablet, which, hey, if you want a relic of how this is going to be a Wii U game, look at that Look at that tablet. Look at the Sheikah slate. Um, yep. But, like, how, oh, this weird tear is just going to splash shit on your tablet. Like, it's all Magitek stuff. Um, 
it blends it really well. It's really cool how the Sheikah are like pretty much like the lost uh, advanced race colony trope, you know, like the the Protheans from Mass Effect or something like that. Totally. You know, it's uh, funny. Um, I was just going to say real quick, I think the most obvious counterpoint um, in to Breath of the Wild for me is Horizon Zero Dawn. Like Horizon Zero Dawn is dealing with similar ideas, but it's, you know, it was developed by a studio, uh, like a, a, a Western studio, and it's doing the kind of the the Ubisoft colonized open world thing, whereas Breath of the Wild is doing exactly the opposite. And those games came out, it was like a month within each other's. So I want to like, say it was like a week or two weeks okay. at the most. And was, I remember they were so close together. And I was interested in Horizon, but it's just like Breath of the Wild is going to be out in like a week and a half. I can't, yeah, I can't and, commit to both. And again, it was just kind of like it was more cinematic. I didn't like the 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 way it presented its open world, um, or the way it justified its open world. I guess is maybe a better way to say, because like I mean, a lot of these games that are open world games don't necessarily need to be that because they're just filling the the world with content for content's sake. Right. Which I I strongly believe that Breath of the Wild does not do that at all. Um, but I remember having conversations and maybe even arguments with people saying like a Horizon's a better game than Breath of the Wild because it has more to do. And I was like, it's not that it has more to do. It's just that the way that you need, not, I, the way that some players want to have these options presented to them um, is different than the way that Breath of the Wild does it. Yeah, I can I can definitely get behind that. I think just Horizon. Horizon throws more at you, but it's not exactly like you like you alluded to before. It's not stuff you actually want to do. It's just stuff like, well, you gotta get like ten of these parts, upgrade your fucking kit here. Like, yeah, you don't. I mean, you upgrade your Sheikah slate powers, but you don't really need to. They feel like you know, they just make things a little easier, a little better. Um, and I'm not even sure. I don't even remember. You don't even upgrade them until like the DLC chapters, right? Is that was that the it? Sheikah or, slate? The like you get your uh, your all your powers on your Sheikah Slate Plus. I think that might have been DLC. It might have been. I I don't remember. I remember doing it. And now I think you can do it early on. I I mean, someone will probably correct us if we're wrong. But right. Um. But the thing is, is like, yeah, you can do that. But what? Yeah, okay. So now I can find where the radishes are, or now I can use magnesis or stasis for a little bit longer. But that doesn't. The you don't core of need those that. To, are still there, right? Yeah, like it doesn't change anything. It only adds a little bit of extra time, which for some experimentation is good, but it's not necessary to do anything. So it's like it's they're all they're all um uh oh gosh why am I block uh, optional I can <laughs> <laughs> they're all optional upgrades, and I mean that's the same way like. The shrines are all optional, and that's how you, quote unquote, level up Link's stats. Like you get better endurance and health by doing the shrines. You can get some better gear by doing the shrines. God, we haven't even talked about the shrines, I know. which are like the cornerstone of that game's progression, if you even call it progression. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, but I mean, there's still so much to get to. But I go mean, on. Even so, I mean, like, I mean, this is probably the most, other than the gear, like the 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 stat building quote unquote and the upgrading of your slate abilities is probably the most RPG 
stuff in the game. Um, and it's yes. like, yeah. it's like, okay, once again, you, like, the world is not just a, a, a theme park filled with stuff to do. The world is also your skill tree. It's your stat <laughs> screen. It's all, like, right. like the, the game is all about its world in every way to the point that it somehow manages to make, yeah, like I said, to make the stat screen your map in a weird way. Like, all the shrines you, you did are your stat points, and you can use those to level up your health or your stamina or whatever. It's it's crazy. Right, and it just puts that choice in your hands, which something, not to dunk on Horizon again, but like something like Horizon just doesn't have that kind of baked into its world. Like, and like you said, it doesn't really justify the open world because like, going back to the systems of, of Breath of the Wild, of how everything just sort of connects pretty organically to each other, like, it not really any other open world game does that you know nope. like i see games like oh, assassin's creed odyssey let's bring that up yeah. and it's like oh you can turn off your map and your radar and stuff i'm like okay that that's not just all oh, you made it breath of the wild mode like you're, you're trying to sort of not imitate uh like by turning off all the map markers and notifications right. and stuff but it's just like oh this is it now open world games are starting to take cues to breath of the wild but it's like it I don't quite see it that way because it's still the same underlying game and right, like Assassin's yeah. Creed Odyssey is is probably one of the most guilty open world games of just being fucking overstuffed and overbloated like packed to the gills with uh, with and to be fair it has its own systems but sure they feel overwhelming in a way that's not organic they have like just a bunch of different factions and a bunch of different abilities and shops and trees and there it, there's a, a lot there that is actually kind of overwhelming that's why it's a 200-something-hour game, and that's why, like, you know, I can't really find time for it. Well, and, I mean, we say that, but I know that probably between the both of us, we put in probably five or 600 hours into Breath of the Wild, just but you that, and I. But that wasn't because the know? game asked us to. That's because we felt compelled to do exactly. that. Exactly, and, and that's what I'm, and, yeah, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm driving at, is, like... Right. I, it speaks volumes to the fact that... the. Frankly, I mean, we're, I don't know how they did some of it. It, it still is so baffling. Like, you can look at it and see how it turned out. But I, like, who, how did they just sit down and go, oh, you know what? I know it's going to work. Instead of uh, a skill screen, let's just, uh, and instead of heart pieces on, you know, the Legacy Zelda side, let's, let's redo all of that and turn the map into a giant uh, skill, skill tree and that in order to unlock the skills, you have to actually play the game by doing these shrines and these puzzles uh, and, and finding Korok seeds and actually paying attention to what is in front of your character as opposed to looking at, okay, I'm close to this, you know, icon on the minimap. I guess I'll go do that. Mm -hmm. You actually have to, like, explore and look and pay attention and you can turn the entire HUD off. And which is exactly totally what I did. Which is yeah, exactly oh, how I play the game. And I, when I did my master mode, uh, when I'm I'm in the middle of my master mode run, I've done everything except for some of the DLC stuff. But when I started, I'm like, you know what? Just to see how it gels, I'm going to turn the HUD off and stuff. And I feel even more engrossed in the world than I did before yep. because I'm not sort of harping on certain things in the map. Like, oh, I got to go this thing here, this the way. Like, I'm kind of just letting me and you know, as my character extension Link kind of figure it out on his own 
And yeah. I, that is, I cannot go back. That That is my way to play Breath of the Wild for sure. I think I switched mine pretty early on uh, in my first playthrough on the Wii U. So I played it uh, through on the Wii U. And the day I beat it on the Wii U, my Switch arrived in the mail with Breath <laughs> of the Wild. And I started my new playthrough on that one. And that one I ended up, um, I 100%ed all the shrines and did most of the side quests. Then I started my Master Mode playthrough, and now I'm on my fourth playthrough. That is um, kind of, I, I guess you could just call it my chill out sandbox playthrough. Like, right. I think I've I've got a f- couple dozen hours into this one, but I have only done. I got Rivali's Gale because I like that ability, and then otherwise I just haven't done any like anything necessary. I'm just messing with bacoblins and climbing up mountains and stuff because I want to, but um. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just really, I, I think I was saying it before. It was just, it's fascinating that like, uh, you can put in, you can have four playthroughs in a game that's this big and not feel like you're wasting your time or that there's, like, there's still things about the game that I'm discovering now. Yeah. Like, and like, like, la- like three weeks ago, I discovered that when you're surfing on your shield, you can do like a Tony Hawk spin with the, when you press the Y button. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. What? I, yeah. I didn't know this was a thing. And it doesn't really do much. It's mainly for show. But it's just like, I, I didn't know this was here. Like, uh, what? <laughs> How there are there was, more uh, systems? Yeah, there was something that I... There was something that I discovered recently. I can't remember what it was. But, I mean, just... You know, you turn off the HUD, like we were talking about earlier. And you can... Everything is conveyed to you. And you're cold. Okay, Link's... Br- start shivering his you can see his breath um if it's too warm he got the visual know, he, cues it's woozy yeah. yeah there's tons of visual cues everything you can see everything in the way that the the just the graphical engine is like hey the art direction hey look you can do this thing um i also turn off the shrine beep yeah me too because that so also just like, got annoying at some point yeah yes i agree it, it's helpful when i was it was helpful when i was doing all the shrines like a hundred percenting all of them, but otherwise it's just like I don't need to know that it's here. It's it's way more fun to just turn a bend and then be like, oh yeah, there's a shrine. Oh, it's right there. Like yeah, yeah. okay, that, that, then, and, then that's where I'll go with this. And it's like uh, there's a uh, there's a a group on YouTube. They don't really do very much any, anymore, but they're called Cool Ghosts, um, and uh, they have a video about Breath of the Wild. And the whole point is, uh, Breath of the Wild is 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 a particularly great game because its game is the like is what you're looking at like it's the game world it's the it's what link is doing and seeing other games make the game the map or they'll make the game like your health bar it's it's basically he was using halo as a counter example and so when you're playing multiplayer halo nine times out of ten your eyes are looking at your map for where your enemies are whereas in breath of the wild you turn all that off you're just using your eyes to to pinpoint where you are, so you're really immersed in this in this version of Hyrule. And I think uh, yeah, that that's uh, really good. I mean, if I like, if if people haven't if people haven't been able to tell yet, like the whole reason that I love this game, and I think I could say the same for you, is just that the world is like it's the best open world and maybe the best video game environment ever made, like hands down. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's. There's nothing I can really put against the world and the world's design and how it's structured. Like, 
And I, I, I understand that that's why you got some of the... Who, who are the developers of, uh, of Xenoblade Chronicles? I can't quite remember. Oh, um, Monolith. Monolith, yes. They got Monolith to help like with with crafting this world a bit. But I'm sort of glad, and Nintendo is kind of notorious for this, of Nintendo oversight over a company's, you know, sort of designs and, and philosophies. Like, I didn't care much for Xenoblade Chronicles X, but that was a huge map. Didn't yeah. exactly have a lot to do in it. Didn't exactly care that it was a large map. But I, they were capable of making it, and that's why Nintendo brought them on. But still had them under Nintendo's watch. Of like, okay, we kind of want to keep this constrained. It's, it's like that philosophy of like uh, in, in television of like these sort of creative restrictions actually enable you to create some of the best things you ever you've ever seen. Right. You know? And I think that philosophy is alive and well in Zelda, especially in Breath of the Wild. Like it, it's, I it it does a fantastic job of of doing this sort of less is more approach of that the the world and even its overall lore. You know, I'm I'm a guy, and this is kind of dovetailing into a different part of sure. Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild, I don't want to talk about. But I'm a guy who loves bullshit lore and diving into minutia, and you might hear a little bit of that in a few weeks. But <laughs> um, the way that Breath of the Wild just casually disregards every notion of canon timeline or anything like that it's it, it just it doesn't give a fuck like it's just like all right this is like ten thousand years in the future i guess who cares like we have this thing to say we and we don't give a fuck about no fucking split timeline theory bullshit like <laughs> yeah i mean not only is it ten thousand years in the future it's ten thousand years in the future of every single timeline in air quotes that exists like, yeah, this is the end point of all those different timelines, regardless of where you are. Yeah, it's all the same. So it's a go. bit it's a bit of a sort of destiny fate thing intertwined with like uh, just like final destination. Like you can change things, but they're ultimately like history is going to correct itself at some point. You know, like the the ultimate end goal is like Ganon eventually is going to be so fed up that he's going to turn into this giant fucking force of malice. Yeah. Uh, and, and just try to kill everything. <laughs> Cool, yes. Cool call yes. back there. That's, that's a, that was an intentional joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it, I, it's really cool how like Skyward Sword was basically marketed as like here's the beginning of it all. Like you know, mm -hmm. here's the Hyrule story to tell you how important Skyward Sword is. Like <laughs> it's before Ocarina of Time. Ooh, it, it's just and like, before the Minish Cap. It's it's and it is the first Zelda game in just, the yeah. Zelda timeline. Um, yep. But like. Breath of the Wild is such an opposite thing. So much I mean, of the game is an opposite reaction of its Skyward Sword, and I'm yes. very surprised that, you know, in five years, they would have taken such a different approach to a Zelda game while taking a lot of feedback from Skyward Sword. Yeah, and I think in, I mean, <clears throat> in interviews, even Anuma's like, yeah, we know, like, we, we saw that too, <laughs> but it was like, maybe, maybe just where... Nintendo was in their design philosophy for games at the time. I mean, because like the handholdy, hey, maybe you should take a break. Hey, um, you know, uh, these games can be played by everybody. Like that was very much where Nintendo was, especially with the with the Wii U. Um, and the Wii, the late Wii, and the Wii. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the Wii and the Wii U. But then, um, you know, they they tested the waters a bit with. Um, a link between worlds and being able to do things out of in in, in no real order or sequence mm -hmm. um and that went well and then i think that was maybe the like that the, the final like 
on top of all the feedback, they're like, okay, well, let's make a game that's a little bit more open. Oh, they really like this. Okay, here's Breath of the Wild. How do you like this? And then it's like, okay, yes, this is everything like, we wanted. They they probably had a lot of things going for Breath of the Wild at that point, but this is the final green light to like be, hey, let's really just throw shit at the wall. Like, not throw shit at the wall, but like let's really sort of uh, give it all we got and go crazy with it. You know, like uh, yeah. I, it's really interesting how how Zelda's progressed in the last ten years for sure. Yeah, because like you, you even have stuff like it's rooted in the Twilight Princess of it all. Like just make Ocarina again, but and right. Skyward Sword felt like a bit of a, uh, a, a other direction for that. You know, like okay, it's gonna be more more sort of an artistic when wicker stylized kind of thing. Like there's a pendulum swing with with Zelda, but. I don't think that it's really going to swing back after Breath of the Wild. Not to say they won't ever make another kind of Zelda, because just look at like Link's Awakening. Like that's going for something right. completely different. And again, they're taking huge risks and gambles with something like Zelda. Like they are so willing to just uh, completely uproot what you think about Zelda at any given moment, and I find that incredibly endearing. I kind of, I mean, not to dwell too much on that, but I kind of wonder if uh, a link between or the Link to the Past, the remake might do a little bit more um because a link uh link's awakening was already kind of you know it's it's a weird zelda it did a lot of stuff differently you know compared to what had come before it and and a lot of what came after it and Mm -hmm. its world is designed in such a way that maybe you could open it up a bit and have things be more non-linear so i kind of wonder if there will be any sort of breath of the wild if any of Breath of the Wild's DNA will wind up in this new version of Link's Awakening, I'm kind of that would curious be interesting. That. that would be very interesting to see how how far that really goes. You know, I mean, because like, I mean, when before this came out and even after it came out for a long time, people were like, "Where does this fit in the timeline? What is this?" And for a while, I think I I just kind of came down on the idea that this was, um. This was either a remake or the only direct sequel to the first Legend of Zelda game. Like this was okay. This is this is like this is the everything else is now not canon, and this is the second <laughs> Legend of Zelda game. Uh, just because it was so much, it that Breath of the Wild is closest only to um, the original Legend of Zelda compared to other other games in the series like i mean obviously there's similarities like of course but when it comes to just the way it plays and the uh player the agency and all that stuff like it's it's the first game kind of remade for in this new uh era of giant open worlds and you know sweeping cinematic vistas and stuff like that Right, right. And even before we got Breath of the Wild as a name, I remember the lead-up was like, uh, is this going to be, like, plot-wise, is this going to be, like, a remake of The Legend of Zelda? Uh, yeah. Is, it is uh, you know, like... Because you see that the, the, the dueling peaks in Breath of the Wild, yeah. and it's like, well, that was a thing from The Legend of Zelda, so, like, is this going to be, like, sort of a remake or retelling, reimagining... Um, and in a lot of ways, it kind of was in in terms of like philosophy and design structure, and like you said, player agency. Um, but it was it was cool to see like that sort of dawn on people. Like this is sort of taking a lot of inspiration from those original, like the original Legend of Zelda. And like you know, people like to discredit NES games all the time. It's just like uh, they were they were they were glorified like 
barely better than quarter munchers. Like you know, not a right, lot yes. really. A lot, a lot of flash on a lot of substance, but fuck you, Legend of Zelda is incredible, and it's it's the it is the touchstone for fucking like modern like RPG progression and sort of like th- those kinds of designs and things like that. I think uh, I mean back when people were first um, reviewing things like Demon Souls and Dark Souls. The thing that got me interested in that game series was, I think Brad El- Elston one day was like, yeah, this is like playing the original Legend of Zelda, but in a dark gothic fantasy world. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's totally what I want to play. And now in a weird way, you wrap all the way around and people are like, isn't it weird how Dark Souls has inspired Breath of the Wild? And I'm like, no, that's that's not true. What it is, is Breath of the Wild is just going all the way back to it's it's roots to those original roots right yeah and it does in a fantastic kind of way like yeah god yeah for sure um god what the like i said there's just so much to talk about this game like i i sure the delineation of 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 temples and stuff to these shrines that are just like 120 mini challenges of varying degrees of difficulty and scope i think is amazing it is evocative of things like portal in terms of like you have the singular challenge, mostly singular challenges. Sometimes there's like sprawling, um, sort of like I'd say mini dungeon esque uh, shrines, but they're mostly like one little challenge that you have to find out how to do. And and another thing that this game does that modern Nintendo has embraced, I'd say fully, is like there's no one way to do it. If you can yeah. figure this out in any way you you want. It's yours. It's like the polar opposite. I, I always hated growing up and when I did math in school of like, show your work, prove how you did it, go by the steps. Like, that is just fucking conformity. Like, I'm a fucking like 12 year old. I'm like, that's conformity 101. <laughs> I figured it out my way and that's good enough. But, but but Zelda is actively against that kind of thought process. Like, if, if you blow up two bombs and like ragdoll your body over the fucking cage and get to the guy, that's just as valid as doing it the way they intended. And they and they and they make that totally clear. Like they don't punish you for doing anything wrong, or I'm sorry, wrong. They don't punish you for doing things the way that they don't want you to. Like I think there was a shrine I did. It was like two or three days ago. And um, I mean another thing, just like I'm going back and playing this game. I we I've been playing it off and on for like two years now, and restarting it, I'm like, oh shit, I don't even remember what the shrine is at all. Like right, like right. holy shit, like like that's that is great like having all these shrines means it's infinitely replayable but anyway um and i got down you know go down the elevator and i'm looking at i'm like i don't fucking remember how to do this but i you know because i had played the game in such a way i was like you know what i'm gonna try this and i think basically i basically did what you did i stasis this little ball and i shot it over a fence and i made it in there and i could you know normally i believe you're supposed to like you were supposed to like move it, like carry it to one part, and then you know make a thing fling it over the side. But I just used stasis and bombs, and it flew over, landed yep. where I needed it to. And I was like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about this now. I figured it out, and um, that's not cheating. That is playing the game. You are solving the puzzle, and you're playing the game. So it's it's just as valid as whatever other way they wanted you to do it. Exactly, and they and they. I I love that it's like because some games are just kind of block you out like you have to go in the critical path you have to do it this way this is how we want you to do it because uh, even oddly enough even in game, modern games like Apex Legends there's still spots that you can reach that it's like get back to the battlefield I'm like fuck right. you you want me to get here <laughs> like yeah then uh, don't uh, don't put this plateau where I can 
drop from with my squad, and now we're up here, and it's like, okay, well, sorry, dude. Back or, to the battlefield in 30 seconds. Like, come on, man. Like, you, the, you let me get here. Yeah, the least you can do is make us... too high. The, the least you can do is, like, uh, put a spirit barrier up or something so I can't get right. there. But, exactly. But but Zelda totally disregards that. Like, if you have a way to do it, you can do it. And that philosophy overlaps with the systems fucking flawlessly. Like, 100%. It, 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 metal conducting electricity. So you can just... You can just solve these like magnet puzzles just by putting your your swords and shields and stuff down on the floor mm-hmm. and having like a current flow through all of them. Like that is so smart. Like I saw somebody like do that in one of the uh, Divine Beasts, where like you had to put these two big metal balls on on two parts of the uh, on of this door, and he just had one ball, and then he took picked up a treasure chest and put it there, and then conducted the electricity all the way from the ball to the treasure chest, and it worked. I- I think I know exactly what what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I think you know, there was one time, someone uh, I I was just watching. Maybe it was like a let's play or or just a, a speed run or something. And, and a comment pointed out like, "Wow, you know, this game is so shittily designed because uh, Nintendo they couldn't even design the shrines in a way that you know they, everyone can break them. You can just break these shrines. How?" Like, that's such poor game design. And, like, you know, luckily everyone in in the comments was ragging on this person. Like, okay, come on, dude. Like, no, that's exactly the opposite. But the fact that that mindset exists, I mean, this is way meta, but I think it just... Video games have taught us to think uh, in a certain way that video you're supposed to think about games in a certain way and games are supposed to do and not do certain things. And Breath of the Wild's like, nah, fuck that. You can do what you can do it you like do, this if do you it want to. Any way you physically can in the confines of our sandbox. And like for we some like, people, they didn't write up rules. They just gave you the sandbox right. and told you to like have fun. And, and for some people, that's like no, that's not right. Like that's not that. That means it's bad because they didn't tell me what to do. And it's like okay, what it sounds like is like you you should maybe just not like change the way you're thinking about this a little bit. Like right, like do I games have really have to do insight. that? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. And like it, it's one of those things. Like that seems like a very old school way of thinking about video games. Like even even the more modern approach to video games, I feel like is breaking away from that. Just in your Absolutely. Minecrafts and Fortnites and and more sort of procedural stuff. Like even like, you know Apex. Like uh, it, it, you're you're meant to tackle issues in more than one way. Like there's no one right answer. And in life, you're not going to come into many scenarios where there's literally only one option. You know, like right there's. And I'm not saying like there's some grand plan of like Zelda being this beacon into having a better life, but I mean there's there's things you can pick up from Breath of the Wild, like we said earlier. Like there's a lot of things that it has to say about like uh, coming and going, and and you know even stuff like chosen one f- like philosophy stuff and subverting that a bit because like th- th- even throughout its narrative and lores, like Zelda's the badass. Link is just a fucking guy who fell asleep for a hundred years. Also, the world ended. Like, there's no urgency. Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, Link... It, the only other game that I think did this in recent memory is the opening of God of War, where it's like, yeah, the only thing that you have to do right now is take your, your wife's ashes up the mountain. Like, that's the first quest in the game, you know? Right. And Breath of the Wild is like, yeah, go fight Ganon, but you can't, so figure it out. I don't know. Like, I don't... It's, it's just like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, like, play the game. Have fun. 
This they, is they tried this is... to to weave in a little bit of urgency, like just a little sure. bit. When uh, Zelda will sometimes chime in, like, "Where are you, Link? Like, uh, you remember you got to do this thing, right?" But I think that's just more of like, because uh, you, you can go so far in Breath of the Wild that like Hyrule Castle is a distant memory. Although I will say, most of the map has Hyrule Castle visible in some way, shape, or form. But uh, you can yeah, reach I, I, you can reach these places where like you can't really see it or do anything about it. But like it's it's they play with it really well because like Hyrule Castles, you know something that's always going to be kind of in the back of your head is something you got to do at some point. But hey, it's a, like we've built this this sort of like I said before sandbox. You don't have to fucking do any of it. <laughs> it's it's no. just there. Yeah, and and not only do you have do you not have to do any of it. You can do it in any order that you need to because, or that you want to, because, because the core of the game is so simple and what you're upgrading is so, like, focused, mm -hmm. you know, you're just focusing on stamina and health. You're getting, you know, better, better upgrades to things that you've had since the beginning of the game. You, you aren't making any drastic changes to your moveset or uh, your your options available to you. Gear gets better as you play more, but you know, it, what you're doing is just, you're just adding like more on top of what's already there. You're not, it's not, uh, you're, you're not like, you're not fulfilling a power fantasy. So it's like, okay, yeah, just go do whatever you want. If you don't mm -hmm. want to do this shrine, you don't have to. And nothing, like you're not gonna close yourself off from some sort of content because you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. Uh, like, nothing in the game other than killing Ganon to beat the game is a requirement. Exactly. Uh, I, I guess, exactly. And, and those first four shrines, but even then, like... Why well, I almost that like a tutorial, you know? Like, that's yeah, just to get exactly. the flavor of the game, really. Yeah. Um, and technically, you don't really have to, and people found ways to even bypass all that stuff. Like, day one, I was seeing really cool speed runs of this game, and this game is rife for, like, the speedrunning community to bust wide open because the it it is, like, a Havoc's engine uh, open-world game. So, like, with the physics that are in the game, there are plenty of ways to break it. And especially with all the uh, items and abilities that you have that, you know, manipulate velocity and speed and, and, and matter. Right. Uh, the game's kind of, you know, like, it, obviously we're going to break it in some way, shape, or form, but it's great, like, that from day fucking one... People were up to the challenge. I was just like, "Yeah, I can, you know, beat this game in like eighty minutes. I don't know. Like, yeah, all I gotta totally. do is is like do this tutorial for the old man, who's the fucking king of Hyrule, by the way. Um, yeah, right. It's right from the beginning. Like, <laughs> we're n no fucking thirty hours. The king of Red Lions is actually the king of Hyrule, but uh, like, you do that guy's thing, and then you find a boulder with uh, uh, Kinesis or whatever, and you can." Do it the right way, and you can launch yourself off to Hyrule Castle and just f fucking do it there. It's it is fantastic. It, I'm pretty sure that with Amiibo, the speed run is down to like so like 19 minutes. It might even be lower than that. It's like or nine minutes or something. It's something incredibly it's the, short. Like, exactly. How, how? The, the, the clown fiesta that is Amiibo uh, parts right, yeah. of that, like the RNG fest. Like you're just yeah. constantly re-rolling for like well. Gotta try and get the fucking like the uh, I don't I don't even know I don't know what weapons they give you and a lot of people like I mean they use it to get a Pona and they use it to get yeah some some gear and whatnot but uh, I mean but 
even without the amiibo, it's still... It's so fast, and it, it... Again, it speaks to... Like, Nintendo is totally telling you the truth, where you're like, it's like, yeah, you can you can beat this game in five hours. You totally can. Like, you could do that first <laughs> intro area, get that stuff, you know, do a little bit of stuff out in the world, and then go straight to Hyrule Castle, which, man, that's a whole other topic, um, and beat the game. And, like, you totally can. It's totally doable. God, it really is. I, I, I love how open this game is. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. It kind of puts a lot of other notions of what open world design is to shame a little bit. Like it's totally. so, and obviously you can see the influences of your older Assassin's Creeds and things of that nature in there. But <laughs> yeah, it, with it's the towers and whatnot, sure. It's interpreted yeah. in such a way that, like, I think it does it just so much better. I agree because all it does in Assassin's Creed is just give you more checklists. Well, and like also, in, you know, stuff like Assassin's Creed and um, GTA. I'm about to use the term ludonarrative dissonance, so everyone hold on to your boots. Take but, um, you know, that what causes ludonarrative dissonance is something like, all right, I'm playing this character in GTA, and he's trying to he's trying to get out of the crime you know world, but he just keeps getting sucked back in. Also, between missions, I'm going to run my car into a bunch of pedestrians, do a bunch of crazy stuff, get chased by cops. Like, that's what causes ludonarrative dissonance. Where well, then it's I like, am guy in country trying to make amends for my past. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then also I'm going to, you know, do a bunch of side quests that involve me doing extremely questionable things that a person who's trying to get out of, you know, a crime, a crime family would not do. Whereas um, Breath of the Wild is like, yeah... Uh, everything that you do either feeds back into the game systems, feeds back into the progression systems, or is completely um, not arbitrary, but is done specifically because you want to do it, not because of the rewards that it gives you. And like, it just you're doesn't. Told to. Yeah, and not because you're told to. Exactly. Like you just you stumble on it organically, or it's organically woven into the game. In such mm-hmm. a way that it's like, hey, yeah, uh, this world is completely ruined and weird and filled with a bunch of mysteries, so go figure it out. Like, Link not Link doing something or, or, or you as the player doing something or not doing something is never in question because of, that's exactly what you would do in that, in that scenario. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, I think, something that for me, plagues a lot of open world games, especially stuff in the Rockstar or Ubisoft formula. It's just like, like, why am I doing this? Not only does this, is this not like, is it just content for content's sake? It just doesn't make sense for what the world that you've established is. Whereas like, I mean, a lot of people want to complain about the way that Breath of the Wild tells its story. And I think there are some valid complaints there, you know, uh, in, in spots, but, um, because you're kind of recounting something, things that have happened in the past to kind of piece together, okay, what actually happened here? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do it out, 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 you know, not in any specific order or whatever. There's never any sense of like, well, yeah, the story is saying, yeah, you got to go do this, but, but actually I'm going to, I want to go. I, okay. I, I, I know that the, uh, that the reapers are coming, but actually I really need to do some side quests. Like, right. there's none of that. Right, it's it's because of that whole thing of of, of yeah. piecing together what happened in the past and yeah. looking for your memories and things like that. 
totally. But uh, God, and and just back to like shrines and stuff. I just really loved how they were divvied up and split up, and how how small and compartmentalized they are. I I think people get a little bit of blowback, like nostalgia of just like, oh, but I want actual dungeons. Like, do you kind of really like? A I lot think, of them are just centralized centralized around getting an item, using it once, and right. then you put the item away and never have to use it again until like the last dungeon. I think the weakest parts of Breath of the Wild for me are the Divine Beasts. And um, I think that's because they still hold on a little bit too much to the the old way of doing those dungeons. And mm. not only did they make the world a skill tree, but they made the world a giant dungeon. Like, it's, <laughs> it is a single... Breath of the Wild's world is every temple in one wherever you want it to be. And I do think, I've thought about this a lot, and I think that there are ways you can do both. And I think there is probably a better balance that you could strike than what they did with the four divine beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, which, for people who don't know, there are giant, like, mechanical, mystical creatures walking around that have been corrupted by Ganon, and uh, you have to go into them. There's, there's like, a bird, an elephant, a giant camel thing, and like a, a lizard. lizard yeah and um and they're cool like you, you you manipulate them because they're giant machines so like you can change the angle and it changes the layout of the dungeon and opens up certain rooms and and, and there's a lot of really neat stuff that they do there but it feels so disconnected and closed off from what you're doing elsewhere and that's the mm-hmm. only times where it feels that way um and they're also just kind of bland. Like some of those shrines are really, really, really smart in the way that they're designed. Whereas, you know, I think the divine beasts are lacking in comparison. Um, uh, certainly so. I think half of them are just kind of like pretty, pretty trite, not trite, and sort of boring. Like, yeah, I, I like the the one um, in the Gerudo Desert because that's a lot yes. of the stuff manipulating electricity and things like that. That's a really interesting one that they don't they don't touch on a lot of shrines but then there's some just like okay the one in the zora area is like you're filling water and like just to put out a fire or something and it's like a bit a bit more cut and dry i don't know there are um the fire one i don't even remember the one the volcano i just thought it was cool that you were in a volcano that was a cool like visual set piece yeah I, i and i think actually um there are some really cool moments when uh you're in the ruto one and or not the roots uh yeah 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 and you're like you know you're flying between the wings of the of the bird and it's just like whoa right I, you know i can see all of hyrule below me and i'm flying in this it's, it's visually really really cool but it just didn't have the impact that you know a, a five minute shrine did and that's it's kind of disappointing and like i said i do think that there's ways that they can maybe make them more organically woven into the game. So like mm-hmm. there are those three labyrinths in the world. Yes. And yes. I thought that those were better than the, than the um, divine beasts, than divine beasts. Um, they're super easy to cheese. Granted, like if you have certain gear and if you have a volley scale, pretty much. Yeah. If you have a volley scale, you can totally cheese them. However, um, I think that, like you could have temples like that. Like you could be walking around the world and it's like, Oh, there's this giant, you know, this ancient, uh, uh, Zora temple. I'm going to go in and Oh, whoa, there's a cool, 
you know, item at the end of it or or something like that, you know? Right. If you were able to encounter the Divine Beast organically, like, if you just took a turn and went underground and you were just in one of the Divine Beasts, I think it would be a lot more impactful. But because they're these giant floating colossuses, pretty much, colossi, um, yeah. it, it just, it's, they stick out a lot more. They stick out more like a sore thumb than if they were something you encountered, like the Labyrinths, for example. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, if, if I was going to offer any sort of hopeful suggestion for what comes after Breath of the Wild, um, if they if they do kind of like, let's say, a Majora's Mask, and which is, I mean, a lot of rumors seem to indicate that that's what they are going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if that's what happens, I would say, you know, get weirder with the shrines. The shrines don't all have to look like shrines. You know, right. um, and that might add even more excitement and sense of exploration because when you when you you walk up on a shrine, you know what you're about to get into. Whereas there are times in the game where you walk up on a cave and you're like, I don't know what the fuck is in here. Like this giant cliffside with like a, a, a yellow electric pattern on it. And I'm like, what does right? this mean? Yes. And there could be, you know, you know, instead of 120, you could do 50 shrines, but have the 50 shrines be extremely weird and interesting and woven into the world a little bit more organically. Um, right. Because there are some that just pop out of the ground and you do a puzzle or something. That's yeah. Just like, yeah. Eh, it's, it's a little less inspired, but it's still pretty cool how it affects the environment, I guess. Like, I they telegraph it pretty easily because there's, there's usually uh, smaller puzzles in the world of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild are just like, here's a circle of rocks with one rock taken out. <laughs> right, yes. And it's just like, exactly. okay, this is something for like a four-year-old. But, I mean, you're you're introducing the concepts that will eventually, most of the time, lead to either a Korok seed or a dungeon or a, a shrine. Right. But it is just like, mm, that's a little <laughs> it's, it's a little too on the nose, I guess. Because then there's stuff like uh, that, and for specifically Korok seeds, um, that are just like okay. Sometimes you just like put an apple where there's like a, a, a set of apples, or sometimes you just climb to the top of a, of a building, and then there'll be just a Korok seed there. And I, I, when people were talking about how when you get all the Korok seeds, just get a giant turd. For some reason, I feel like that's some kind of like incredible fucking critique of oh. of mindless uh of fetch quests and stuff i love I mean, that so much i think I, I i say it in the video that i have coming out soon but it's like it's not a subtle message but i don't think it, people should take it as like this isn't worth doing and i, I think because breath of the wild's whole message is the part that you should be doing like the reason you should play this game is because you want to play it not because you want to beat it right. and that's what that um that's what that's saying. It's like, hey, uh, yeah, you did these Korok things. You didn't have to. I hope you enjoyed it. There is no big reward other than actually just doing them. <laughs> so Right, right. Uh, but one thing I, that we haven't really touched on so far uh, throughout the, the game's like prog- uh, systems and progression, thing like that, but the thing that's in the backdrop of every single part of this game is its music, which is also yes. a little on the divisive side. I wouldn't say it's like people hate it or anything, but the the, the easiest complaint is like, lol, what music? You know, like, right. it's, yeah. it's very subdued. It's very not, like, blaring, you know, Legend of Zelda riffs. It's not like Hyrule Warriors where they're just pumping music into you, like, at fucking, like, 40 RPM constantly. Uh, right, it's exactly. it's so much more subtle and and just complementing that experience of, of being in the world. Yeah, I, I and, love it for that. And maybe there is a way to do a game like this, a Zelda game like this, 
that has a traditional, more traditional open world, or excuse me, uh, overworld theme. But it wouldn't have worked here. And I, I get it. I understand where people come from. It is kind of weird to go to to go from something like the bombast of you know Ocarina's Hyrule Field theme to going to hey like it's just a few piano chords here and there and it's it's ambient and the melodies that you hear happen in very specific points either in the world or in the story or what what have you or during combat. But it's all, it builds slowly, and um, yeah, you're not, and there's callbacks, but it's also, a lot of it is kind of not, it's either references old Zelda music, or it's 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 new. So there's some of that too, I think, people being like, okay, yeah, well, where's the, where's, you know, Where's the Hyrule Field theme? theme, where's the title theme? But like they will Which, use it sometimes, and like they did. I mean, it's the in fact there, that, yeah. The fact that I didn't hear the main theme until like the end credits of the good ending or whatever, I'm just like about to about to fucking cry. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it's 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 so much more. It, they use it so much more impactfully. Or like I had no idea. So I was riding a horse at night, and then I went, "Holy fuck!" I, this is where uh, this is where the overworld theme is. They hit it on when you're riding horse on horseback at night. Like oh of course, and um, something weird and innocuous that that yeah. just kind of gels the whole game style. Yeah, like uh, <clears throat> I think, um, and I think it's really good. And I, I think maybe that that trailer um, that dropped maybe it was like a uh, at the VGAs just before the release of the Switch and uh, Breath of the Wild it had that really that big orchestral. Um, medley or whatever uh, yeah of of past zelda games and uh music and i think people got their hopes up that that's what the game was going to sound like and it doesn't at all and in fact that that song isn't even in the game like <laughs> um i think that's that was maybe some people got their their expectations up too much and i mean i'll admit it was weird for me at first I kind of did feel like there was sort of not something missing, but it was just it was a it was different in a way that I didn't expect and that I had to get used to. Right. Um, and I think the music in the game is really good. And I don't think I think if we had a traditional overworld theme or things like that in this game, it would have got we would have gotten sick of it because a hundred hours in this open world and it all sounds the same. Ugh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And the fact that the, it's so subtle, so subdued just little things here and there i think that makes it you know a lot more palatable when you're playing this game for 100 plus hours for sure yeah and it it lets those iconic uh, melodies stick out when you finally hear them because exactly, they could have done exactly. something like like skyrim where it's like you know subtle quiet um orchestral movements in the background constantly but it's i don't know that's not it i don't think that would have had the same impact of when oh I'm I'm hearing Zelda's lullaby. This is important. Exactly. It, it sort of just punctuates those kind of moments, and even even little things like uh, the horse riding theme is is I th- I'm pretty sure brand new. But it, it sort of you know it picks up the pace of the typical like overworld um, like quiet piano medley, and you're just like kind of on a stroll with your horse. You know, like it's just a it, yeah. It, it's it, it it's the it's a nice background for the whole whole experience. 
that's an interesting one because both um, the day theme and the night theme for horse riding uses the same uh, chord progression and uh, key as mm-hmm. Zelda's Lullaby for the day and then the Hyrule over th- the overworld theme at night. Interesting. But it's not that. Yeah, but it's not until the um, it's not until the violin chords come in um, over those piano chords that you realize, oh, this is the same thing. Like so, like you know, Zelda's <laughs> Lullaby. Uh, there's subtle Ze- Zelda's Lullaby chords, uh, violin chords during the day theme, and Hyrule, um, the Hyrule Field overworld at night. And but if you're only riding your horse for like twenty or thirty seconds, you're not going to hear that. You got you know you got to go for like a minute or two, and then you're like, oh, right. there it is. Okay, oh cool. Um, and also, this game was the music in this game was composed by the composer. I I'm, I'm blanking on her name. I don't have it in front of me, but who also did Animal Crossing, Crossing. Um, and you can hear that in places like Hateno Village. You can hear it um, in uh, what's that? What's the hut uh, of that one? Uh, woman who like makes all your uh angel weapons like it's a weird sort of oh, like yeah tune. Um, her name is it's like uh oh gosh it's like poor no and that's that's the other pura is the one lady but it's something like that but yes it's weird and mechanical uh Ateno village has like that xylophone thing right and... right there's there's just a level of whimsy that you would definitely find in a an animal crossing game yes and i i think there's a lot of Animal Crossing. There's a lot of Joe uh, Hisaishi, and there's mm-hmm. a you know then there's there's a little bit of Koji Kondo, but the little bit of Koji Kondo that's there is a lot. A little goes a long way. God, it really does. Just like thinking about how it all comes together. Like I'm probably playing Breath of the Wild right after this show. To be honest. Oh yeah, but- I I mean I I said I was I've been playing it again recently, and I really have, and I'm gonna play it tonight and. Probably after the show, once I probably hoard up on uh, good potions because like yeah. we didn't we didn't we barely even touch on the cooking system of just like I I love the sort of I never skip it because you can skip the the, the animations right. for it but I always want to be in suspense a little bit of like did I make a bunch of crap or did I make like full heart recovery stamina that kind yeah, of thing uh, I really I I. I really liked it when the first I vividly remember the first time I made something that was good because I'd seen videos of people making the like dubious food. But when you make a recipe that's really good, uh, the jingle has like an extra little just metal uh, melody to it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, what does that mean? And now it's like, that's what you're going for. Right, exactly. that's what you're going for. And then when you fuck something up, it's like a bunch of pots breaking and and, yeah. and yeah. shit going wrong. And like the, 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 the little tune is like out of tune. It's, yeah, oh, it's, it's, such really a, good. it's such a great little touch. Um, but sort of just to kind of put a, to put a ribbon on the whole show. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit in a break. Uh, uh, the merits of The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild as an RPG and like, this sort of opens right. up a can of worms on broader topics of, like, what is an RPG. Because I've done an episode on Jade Empire, you know. Like, I'm pretty loose right. with, when it comes to, uh, you know, the term RPG. Um, but the point I wanted to get across is that, that we kind of touched on earlier in the show. Uh, is that it does a great job of progressing yourself through your, your armor and your equipment. Um, which all do cool things. Some of them keep you cool in hot weather. Some of them are like, you know, keep you warm in cold weather. You can swim faster. You can go up waterfalls. Like, 
that your armor does have a lot of variety to it and utility. But uh, I think where the RPG stuff comes in is just because like it, it, it's very similar to Monster Hunter. You have to gather yes. these resources and collect uh, certain artifacts and items and horns and guts and all these kind of gross things uh, to you know either trade in or make your armor. Um, I think that that kind of that kind of sells the RPGness of it to me. Yeah, I mean, just from like a, I guess. Uh pure definition of an RPG, you know, you, you have the player has choices and there's character progression of some sort. Right. And this game definitely has that, but it has it in, like you were saying, uh, the, a monster hunter, like I'm going to make my gear, I'm going to make potions. I'm going to buff myself so that I'm going into this battle at, at my peak mm-hmm. uh, possible, you know, performance and and see how it goes and that's definitely how i approach things like uh the late game lionel challenges or like um or just parts of master mode in general like you just you have to do it that way um right and so there's you you get that like you said monster hunter and and the witcher games but i think where it really for me solidifies the fact that this is an rpg is is just how much how much the player can do and uh, you know a lot of games let you let you do a lot but i think this game is in the lineage of stuff like say ultima underworld or arx fatalis or you know the early deus ex games where it's basically an immersive sim Mm -hmm. or and and it's an immersive sim rpg that maybe you know maybe you're not choosing what your character is going to say in the storylines and what have you, but you are given so much freedom to role play within every aspect of the gameplay that I think, uh, it absolutely in that regard fully, uh, uh, conforms to what an RPG is. And in some ways maybe even exceeds a lot of stuff. And, um, so yeah, like it's not a JRPG, it's not really a Western RPG. It's it it fits more in in my opinion in with something like the immersive sim RPG genre. I, I definitely can can sense that it's not even traditional like action RPG. You're not putting no. points into skill trees or stuff like you said multiple times in this show. The world is kind of your skill tree, and you sort of like just uh, go about it how you want to go about it. There's not a confined sort of skill tree point stuff that's like you have to do it this way, this way, or that way. You kind of just figure it out for yourself. I think it would be really interesting to see what an action RPG or a Souls-like game or any of these, any uh, RPG um, or subgenre of RPG, what they could do by borrowing things like, uh, like diegetic skill progression as opposed to a skill tree and experience mm-hmm. points. Um, I think that, that would could be... Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of exploration. I think, you know, obviously open world games can learn a lot from Breath of the Wild, but RPGs could learn a lot too, or at least experiment with some of the ideas uh, to some really interesting results. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. For sure, for sure. I mean, and people brought up in the uh, Rise of the Battle Royale craze, like, what are they did Breath of the Wild, Battle Royale? But, like, when I kind of thought about it for a couple of seconds, I'm like, you know, that's... Everybody just comes out of their own little shrine of resurrection with no gear or anything. 
You gotta I kill mean, the Coblins to kind of like raise your way up. The uh, the Master Trials are kind of like that, honestly. I mean, it absolutely could work. Uh, like this game could be. I mean, you could do a Monster Hunter that was you know Breath of the Wild too. You know, with the cooking systems oh, and all God. that stuff. And like, okay, I gotta use my weapons in such a way that it's like, well, hopefully this won't. I won't break it or whatever. And and if you could maybe you know, make weapons out in the field or something like that. Like, I can see that. I can see that being so perfectly much. functional. And just, like, you could just have a bunch of different monsters from a bunch of different Zeldas, because, like, who cares at that point? Totally. Just like, yeah, yeah I gotta get my Dodongo. Now I just want a Zelda Monster Hunter, goddammit. That's just what this hey. game turned into. Like, let me have my just Dodongo Link just, like, decked out and let him roll around and stuff. Oh, God. Sword hey, and Shield would be very overpowered. I thought about this multiple times so now I'm or if this. or if uh, here's another one is if breath of the wild had monster hunter like armor sets that would rule now that like, would be oh, cool yeah yeah i'm gonna you know i'm gonna build a uh, i'm gonna build this lionel set or i'm gonna build a high Knox set or something like that that's they, they slightly do it with lionels with your barbarian armor they do but, yeah true but they don't look like they don't look like lionels or anything they just kind of look like uh oh, here's some bones and some face paint i don't know <laughs> But, yeah, and um, I guess, and the Lionel definitely has its own, I guess you could say, weapon sets, so. Yeah, yeah, so if they could just expound upon that, you know, make it more, like, have a bit more enemy variety, because that is a bit of a low point of the game, is, like, there's not a lot of enemy variety, you know, there's, like, there's a bunch of animals, like, bats and wolves and stuff, and there's bacoblins and moblins and Hena, and then there's the big level guys, like Henoxes yeah. and Stalfos, and, uh, what are the boulders called? Um, the Talus. Yeah, the Talus. Yeah. yeah, like those guys are Stone cool. Now, I would love to have a Talus armor set. Can I just wear a bunch of rocks? <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be sweet. Well, and also like I think I think if there's a, a another wish list item for whatever, uh, if there's a sequel to Breath of the Wild or whatever Zelda comes next. I mean, you said more variety, and I think that that is something that like Breath of the Wild is. It's got so much, and and it's so much of it's so good. But if it if you if you just added more assets and more art to vary up the the stuff, it it would be, you know, you could make this game again, and just you really could add add more art and a few more uh, enemy variations and whatnot, and no one would no one would bat an eye. They'd be like, oh, this is even better. Wow, they changed so much, but they but you don't didn't actually really, have to change anything. They didn't really change any of the philosophy stuff or like how right. you progress like just, in the world. Yeah, that that'd be very yeah. interesting for sure. But yeah, that that kind of uh, sort of wraps our thoughts on Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Uh, boy, it's a hell of a game, and I uh, the both of us could still probably talk about it for longer. But uh, for the sake of this show, we'll kind of rein it in just a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so uh, if you want to listen to more episodes of Grind Forever and Level Select and any of the PNB shows, uh, you can find them at pnbcast.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, all that. Well, actually, I don't. I actually have to answer an email about Spotify, but we're on iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. Um, check us out there. Uh, you can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan underscore LH. You can follow myself on Twitter at Tierney. Follow the podcast on Twitter, like the pod, the, the network at PNBcast. Um, and as always, support us on Patreon. Patreon is what made this show entirely possible in the first place. So uh, for just $3 a month, you can get some exclusive shows, some early content, some cut content even. Um, 
there was a whole mini episode of Grind Forever uh, and Level Select that was sort of cobbled together from Robert and TL talking. Um, you only get that on Patreon, patreon.com slash PNB. And we've got episodes of After Alpha and PNB FM coming up. Uh, recently, Kayla fronted a love song episode of PNB FM that I think was fantastic. She had a very great take on it that I didn't expect. Um, so definitely go check that out. Um, Brandon, any last words? Anything you want to plug? Um, I, well, you said you can, like you said, you can follow me on Twitter, Brendan underscore LH. Um, I currently write for Lifehacker. Sometimes my stuff shows up on Kotaku. I also have stuff on Business Insider that's been going up recently. Um, and I have a YouTube channel that doesn't have a specific YouTube URL yet because I haven't <laughs> posted enough videos, but right. you can get there. You can get there from my, um, my Twitter profile. And, uh, like I said, going to have a breath of the wild video coming out, uh, probably around the same time as this. And, um, yeah, other stuff coming soon as always. All right. Well then for myself and Brendan have a good one. <laughs>